The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. Welcome to Common Ground. My name is Shelley Graff. I'm the associate director here. And I usually lead uh, one of the practice groups every month, once or twice. More once than twice, but sometimes twice. <laughs> sometimes more marks away. So we've been, Mark and I have been working through this book by Guy Armstrong called Emptiness, A Practical Guide for Meditators. So picking, continuing on the topic of emptiness tonight, been in a sort of complicated relationship with emptiness lately. <laughs> and really just like watching, um, just holding all sorts of questions about this teaching And some of those questions have been about like reconciling this lived experience, the reality of our lives, um, with this understanding of nature, right? That this experiences aren't personal, but they are just a result of causes and conditions. Sort of trying to understand how that relates to the person what feels like the what would feel like personal experiences in our lives and and also the experiences that cause a lot of pain or anguish so by chance i was having breakfast with my intern i'm a social worker in addition to the role at common ground i work in social work and I was having breakfast with my intern and we were talking about racial justice two white social workers talking about racial justice work that we're involved in. And I caught myself saying to her over and over, like it's more important to be willing to hold the question for the long haul rather than have the answer now and think that we've got it covered for the next two decades or so. And it just sort of dawned on me in, in that moment when I was speaking with her that, like, oh yeah, this is what awakening is like. It's like committing and recommitting to be a learner and not expect that we've got it, right? But that we're just in, in a process of awakening, of waking up to the truth of the way things are. Yeah, and that really involves so much Feeling the body, noticing emotions, feelings, feeling the pain and difficulties of our lives in a deep and intimate way. So we'll see if we can engage or re-engage some of our questions about emptiness together as we explore the topic tonight. And one of the questions is, like, what is the door to emptiness? You don't have to know what emptiness is. We'll talk about it, and we'll sort of um, we'll gain an, an understanding of emptiness as we go along in the evening. But, like, what is the doorway to this teaching? And it's like, what is the doorway to any teaching? <laughs> the Buddha would often, or said at one point, I teach one thing and one thing only which 
suffering and the end of suffering. So it's reasonable to think that the doorway to emptiness or the doorway to any of these um, profound, life-changing teachings passes through the doorway of suffering. And I've certainly seen that to be true in my life, that it's hard to really um, know what it's like to be here in this life, which is what we're doing as we practice the Dharma, to know what it's like to be here now, like fully, without being willing to engage in the pain of this moment. And in fact, the first noble truth, the Buddha taught that there were four noble truths, and the first one is this truth of suffering, and that it's just a thing that we will encounter um, as human beings in this life in all kinds of ways, and starting at birth. You know, we are burst, we come out into the world screaming, the shock of this newness, right? It's, it's that, this getting used to the, the womb, the warmth, the insulation, love, whatever it feels like in utero, and then emerging into the world, and it's a brand new place. It's not easy, right? And then passing through all kinds of experiences with illness and old age, or just aging, and eventually our own death, and the separation from loved ones. So it's inevitable, it's an inevitable truth that we will experience um, some sort of suffering around in our lives, and especially around these sort of, uh, human experiences related to birth, aging, and death. So I have a lot of faith in this doorway this doorway of suffering. And so when things feel unclear in my life or in my practice in any way, I often will just go right there, just a a reminder to keep things simple, just to open to the truth of this difficulty, whatever this is. And it might not feel good, that being with this pain, this emotional pain, this um, pain of a lived experience or our life circumstances, or um, a job that we don't like, or a relationship that's not perfect, or children that aren't perfect, or whatever the case. It might not always feel good, but it feels really right to be intimate with that experience. And in that moment of connection and a willingness for the heart to be here, there's a lot of confidence. Again, it's not the kind of being with that feels pleasant. That's not a fair expectation. But it is a kind of being with, with that feels like, oh, this is real. And I'm here to be awake, and this feels real. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to see where this takes me. So the process of getting closer to some of these deeper truths that the Buddha talked about. You know, the first step is always to get still. 
just to find a little bit of stillness, maybe to slow down, to slow our movements. I mean, we can see this in really simple ways when, I mean, how many times during the day are we stressed out about something and we just take a deep breath or sigh? That's just natural, right? Just be still. And then we do it in bigger ways, like when we come to common ground and sit on the cushion for a program or at home when we carve out time for our own practice. And then we just reside there for a while. That's step two. We just hang out in that space, that difficult space, and see what can be learned. And with that engagement, there's a steadying of the mind, right? The mind is actually developing the heart, the mind is developing this capacity, this like courage, this capacity to be in our lives. And that's what we're here for. So we breathe in and breathe out and rest in the awareness of this. And that's always the starting point. There's this great poem that has been kind of in my mind a lot lately. It's called Start Close In by David White. Start close in. Don't take the second step or the third. Start with the first thing close in, the step you don't want to take. Start with the ground you know, the pale ground beneath your feet, your own way of starting, your own way of starting the conversation. Start with your own question. Give up on other people's questions. Don't let them smother something simple to find another's voice. Follow your own voice. Wait until that voice becomes a private ear listening to another. Start right now. Take a small step. You Take a small step you can call your own. Don't follow someone else's heroics. Be humble and focused. Start close in. Don't mistake that other for your own. Start close in. Don't take the second step or the third. Start with the first thing. Close in the step you don't want to take. It's such a beautiful reminder of where we begin, right? Like this. It's really just this. Whatever this is for us. And it may be a simple instruction, and it may even be doable to be with our own pain our own suffering, but it's not easy. It's a tall order. And especially when there's this natural urge to find protection. The the heart has these natural habits of protecting, protecting itself by distraction or by shutting down or by pretending that it's not like this by delusion, confusion, deflecting. So we have to strengthen the habit to reside in our pain, emotional pain or whatever the kind of pain that we might find ourselves in from time to time. And it's all in the interest of learning 
So we can reside in this relative level of getting in touch with our pain, whatever pain that is, so that there, because it's a pathway through that, right? It's a pathway through to some, to some deeper understanding. And this teaching of emptiness is like pointing us in the direction of that deeper understanding. It doesn't negate our lived experience in any way, but it's yes and, right? Yes, there's this, and this is important and should be honored. And there's also another way to understand this that leads to real freedom. There might be some benefit Right? There's often some psychological benefit to getting in touch with difficulty, to really owning our own lived experiences, our identities even, my identity as a queer person in the world. Right? There's some value to claiming that story, to honoring it, it and the truth of the way my life kind of works with this identity. And there's also a real need to sort of understand that that story will always have limitations. Every story will have limitations. So it's good and useful and should be honored. And stories are uh, thoughts that go through the mind, really. They are felt experiences in the body, sensations that come and go. So the truth of any experience can be sort of broken down into its raw components, which is all of the activity that comes in through the sense gates, including the mind. So the the input through the ears, through the eyes, the input in the body, and then the thoughts that flow through the mind like this and like that. And this is what our lives are made up of. And then there's this other thing that happens where we try to make sense of all that by whipping up a story about it, right? Like, oh, this is me. There's something about this that that makes me think that there's a solid self here. And we forget that that's what experience is, that it's just this raw input coming in and the mind, the heart, making sense of it for some protection, right? Because it wants to. It wants to understand. It's hard to rest in confusion. So it's easier to go like, oh, yeah, right. This is because you're queer (laughs) or something like that. Or this is because, you know, whatever it is, right? But the truth is, like, it's because that was a thought that went through the mind. That's all it actually was, was this, like, blip of energy. So this teaching on emptiness is pointing us in the direct direction also of that deeper truth, that ultimate truth. So there's this relative, lived experience that we all have as individuals, and there's this ultimate reality that of what is actually happening here. And we want to not lose sight of that, because that is the path to true freedom. It's the path that the Buddha taught, right? The path to liberation is by understanding. It doesn't mean bypassing what's happening here. We don't want to pretend that we're not impacted by our lives, right? That's, that's not the way. That's just more denial or delusion. We want to like completely embrace and honor our lived experiences and also not forget.
There's this. I always try to, it seems like, I don't try to, but some idea of a poem that Nikki Giovanni wrote will come to mind when I'm giving a Dharma talk or doing many things. But she just was reminded of this. She's got a a new book of poetry, new-ish, called, I think it's called A Good Cry. You know Nikki Giovanni? She's a fantastic poet, author, truth teller. Um, she's 74 years old now, I believe. She's been writing and doing activism, all kinds of organizing and stuff in her own ways for her whole life, I think. And I don't actually know Nikki, by the way. <laughs> Speaking like I do. But I read the story that she had a seizure. And when she went to the doctor to check out the seizure, the doctor was like, yeah, you have high blood pressure. You need to take some medicine. And her response was, I think I really need a good cry. And that was just the title of the book. And her waking up to all of the ways that her heart had protected her over years and years and decades, right? Of, and developing some stoicism and an inability to cry, to grieve the pain or losses in her lives, in her life. So what I need is, a, there's a lot of wisdom in that, right? I, what I need is a good cry. I need to really feel what this life is all about, to be a fully awake human being. Now, where was I? (laughs) So then the question is, like, what is the starting place for you? If you think about suffering being, being the door to these deeper truths, then what is the starting place for you? What are some of the kinds of suffering that exist in your life? You can get real about that. Even if it doesn't sound pretty. Maybe it's the pain of grief or loss or the obsessive mind or chaotic life or the stress of just parenting or life, right? could be anything. But that door of suffering really points to not the external conditions of our lived experience, but the way we relate to them. So this choice we have to stay the course, to keep practicing, to follow, to keep things simple, and really follow our suffering to the other side so that we can realize some of these fruits of practice. And that suffering that involves realizing what we naturally do, like to protect ourselves, what our minds, we not always always doing it on purpose, but like Nikki Giovanni was pointing to, a stoicism that was built over decades, right? The heart kind of protecting itself, figuring out how to survive. And then once there's some space to actually see that and a little bit of safety in one's life to be able to explore it, 
then you can see like, oh, maybe I don't have to continue to use this strategy. Maybe there's a different way. Maybe there's a different way to relate to these external experiences of my life. And that will be different for all of us. So remembering David White's example or suggestion to start in your place. Start with a a spot that feels right for you. Get creative and really get close to that. And also to look out what gets in the way of doing that. To take a really honest look at what gets in the way of doing that. And when we stop resisting or avoiding the truth of our lived experiences, when we get still and begin to see the truth of things, we begin to feel the pain and that's our doorway. We begin to see what the Buddha was talking about. It's such a deceptively beautiful thing just to say, start close in, right? Start with our own suffering. Like, that's easy to do. And it's not. It requires a lot of us and a persistent effort. But every time we take one brave step, there's a little momentum. There's a little momentum, right? Every time we sit down for two minutes, it becomes a little easier to sit for the third, right? And when we are actually cultivating new habits, new ways so that the, those protective instincts aren't needed anymore, and it's not even something that we have to do like a counter offer. We actually, the habit is built on its own over time. And we can see this if there's, if any of you have done retreats, you can see this happening, like the, the heart, the mind, develops a habit of being awake. It, be, it develops a habit of being with difficulty, and it becomes easier. It doesn't become easy, but it becomes, like, smooth. It's like a, nat- it's like a greased wheel, right? Oh, this is what we're doing. We're opening, we're opening, we're opening, we're opening. And we can see this in our lives, too, like come home from a busy day at work and just moving, making a decision when we walk through the door to move a little slowly throughout our evening. And that kind of settling that happens, like, oh, sometimes there's a release, there's a tiredness that maybe was there for a while, but we didn't recognize But that slowing down, that getting still is really important. It's a part of what we need to do in order to be with difficulty. And I'm really curious about uh, what these deeper truths lead to, right? When there's a lot of kind of pulling out the weeds, right? When we sit down and notice like, oh, this pain of anxiety, this pain of anger, like you start to see it come and go. 
It doesn't stick. We start to understand things like, I'm not my anxiety. I'm not this anger. These are just energies that float through the heart and mind and stay for a little while and I can learn something from. And then once they, we recognize that they come and go and they're not, they're not me, they're not that personal, they're a result of something, they're a result of causes and conditions that were laid before that emergence, then there's also this question that arises, well, like, what else is there, right? If not these things that are easy to, the suffering or this pain or this difficulty that I'm accustomed to, if not these patterns or habits of mind, these defilements, these kind of unpleasant mind states, if not that, then what? And I'm really curious about that because what I think I've seen in my life is that when there's an absence of ick in the mind, there's a natural radiant mind that wants to care, right? And so what if that is what's left? So is that enough motivation to actually continue to make our way through these difficult moments, to continue to be intimate or want to be intimate, to be brave enough to be intimate with the truth of things, to be willing to see our identities for what they are, the the beautiful stories that they are, and also the limitations of them. Like, if on the other side of it, there's this pure and radiant, (coughs) compassionate heart that can embrace all of life, including all of me and all of you, I want to show up for that. (laughs) I'd really want to show up for that. I was watching this video. Um, It was a conversation between... Um, Venerable Venerable Panyawati. She's an African-American nun in the States, the only one, the only African-American Buddhist nun. And uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi, who is a monk, a Western monk, scholar, and uh, Joanna Macy. So Joanna Macy is a a teacher and teaches a lot about um, interconnectedness and ecology And so they were having a conversation about their projects and interests and journeys. And I I was so moved by not what they were saying or the content of what they were saying, but by their expression of compassion and how they were saying it. That there there was this moment when Venerable Panyawati was uh, talking about this project she's working on in India, and Joanna Macy was just like tears in her eyes. And just the beauty of all of that compassion, that care in a moment for a project she has is not connected to at all, right? And imagine like the possibility of that. If we all cared about each other's existence to that degree, what would we be like? What would we be like if I cared about you as much as I cared about my own life? I would be willing to die for you.
one of the, there's lots of ways to talk about emptiness. And if you, it's, it's a word, um, the Pali word is sunyata. I believe that's how you say it or pronounce it. And it can be translated to emptiness, void or voidness. Um, some of the other translations are like hollow. It just points to that, that the experiences that we know are not personal. They're really just this raw input through the senses that the mind tries to layer a story on top of. That's all. There's a teacher, Sayara Utejaniya, who talks a lot about, instead of emptiness, he talks about nature, which I like that expression um, a little more than emptiness. Emptiness is, the word is something. (laughs) I don't know exactly what. But nature makes a lot of sense, right? We can think about using actual nature as an example. It's sort of easy to see how causes and conditions give rise to new experience, right? You plant a seed in the right fertile soil, with the right pH, with the right sunlight and the right water, it becomes a plant. With the right nurturing, it becomes a flower bears fruit, or whatever the case, right? You can see that, and if any of those conditions are off, then that plant doesn't grow that way. So this is the way it is, like this example of nature, nature unfolding, this is what our lives are like. Our experience, experience, is nature unfolding. So this thought that feels so personal, this thought about, I am an anxious person was born of conditions that were that gave rise to that, right? That thought arose from something else. And it will poof into the air and something else will be there. So all of our experience, all of our experience is like this. Some, when the conditions are right, Something arises, and then it passes away, and this interconnectedness allows for experience to flow along, right? We can sort of trace back some of our conditioning to our childhood and go like, oh, yeah, right, that happened, and then I started to think like this or behave in this way, and then I reconciled that, and then I did this, and now I'm like looking back and seeing this whole pattern. Well, this is what nature is like, right? Making sense, the experience arises, the conditions are right, it blossoms, and then it dies, and then something else is there, right? Another experience. So it's not actually so personal. It's not such a story about Shelley, more of a story about nature, right? that this is just a natural unfolding. It doesn't, it's not, it's not that, uh, it's not that deep.
<clears throat> Tanisro Biku. This is something about emptiness that I appreciate from him. Maybe I'll read this one instead. This is by a Rinpoche, a Tibetan teacher. The Buddha did not present suffering as the first noble truth just because he had figured out that everybody had a hard time in life. He said that there is something much deeper going on. We suffer because we are projecting the myth of impermanence upon a situation that is actually conditioned, selfless, and constantly changing. Everything is interrelated and interdependent. There is nothing substantial and separate that we can lean upon. The cycle of suffering is a direct result of our desire for impermanence. Right? It's not in the external experience, but it's in our relationship to experience. We are, we are relating to appearances as if they were independent and permanent, when in fact they are exactly the opposite. In contemplating impermanence, we can see the cycle of suffering for what it is. Its conditioned quality produces an unstable environment. Our response to that instability is grasping and the solidification of the self, of a me, of a mine, of a Shelley. This result is suffering because we are relating to appearances as if they were independent and permanent, when in fact they are exactly the opposite. We are habitually fooled by phenomena in this way. That sounds about right. Thich Han has a way of describing this teaching of emptiness as interconnection. You know Thich Nhat Hanh, he likes, really likes to talk about this. Um, interbeing, something that he uses a lot. But it's just this reality that, um, like in the example of the meditation we did today, that we are always connected it's an illusion that we're not, right? The earth bears fruit, food, we eat that, we are a part of the earth. I share, we share the air that we breathe, my exhale is your inhale, right? So we think we're so different, but actually the molecules in our bodies, the existence from nature, from this earth, are all in all of us. It's we are more interconnected than we ever really know. <clears throat> I've heard some teachers talk about how this idea of interconnectedness is not something that um, it's something that could be really useful in the West because we have such a uh, individualistic society, right? We think about things in terms of what's good or necessary for me, but not always in our interconnection and what's good for the community and what what benefits the whole community. And maybe we should be thinking about what benefits the whole community more more than uh, we think about what benefits us individually and primarily because we're out of balance in that area. So 
This can be an invitation to us to explore, to feel the ways that we are interconnected as we move about in our lives and see what that brings us. So I want to open it up to questions and maybe just start with a little reflection. Just those questions that I asked early on. So if you want to close your eyes, you can. And just just holding these two truths together. Truth of the reality of our lives, our lived experience. And this deeper truth of a pathway to freedom, these teachings that lead us to a deeper understanding of what's actually happening. And honoring our suffering to the degree that that it's possible, it's so important to really honor our experiences, the suffering in our lives. I'm just asking the question, what are some kinds of suffering that exist in your life right now? And is it possible to accept these truths? And if it feels difficult, what gets in the way? Just now. Opening your eyes whenever you're ready. We have about 10 minutes for a discussion. You can ask questions if you want. You can just make comments, share your own practice with the community here. Oh, yeah, she read on Monday. She teaches yoga here. So can I share it quick? Please. um, It's by Donna Falds. And it's called Go In and In. Go in and in. Be the space between the cells. The vast resounding silence in which spirit dwells. Be sugar dissolving on the tongue of life. Dive in and in as deep as you can dive. Be infinite ecstatic truth. Be love conceived and born in union. Be exactly what you seek. Be beloved, singing yes, tasting yes, embracing yes, until there is only essence, the all of everything, expressing through you as you. Go in and in and turn away from nothing that you find. That's beautiful. Thank you. Any other thoughts? My brother is visiting me, and I swear he's a bodhisattva. Like, he just is able to always, inevitably, put another person first, be curious, take a long bus ride across the country, rumple himself out of, the, out of it, and then pay attention to you. 
It's unbelievable. And I spend so many hours of my life self-caring to prepare myself to show up. And I do show up, but it it just, I, I don't know, Shelly, does, does that change? Like, is it just some people don't need to resource internally to have a full bucket? Like, they don't feel like life is sort of hard and it takes a lot to not be, just to get out there with attention? I mean, I, th- I think the real objective is just to find balance, right? To find that balance between taking care of ourselves and taking care of each other. And that line is different for all of us, given our conditioning and experiences in our life. Yeah, for some of us, it's really hard to to um, receive the gifts from others. And for some of us, it's quite easy. For some of us, it's hard to give. We, for good reason, probably have all kinds of conditioning around feeling a sense of lack or something like that. Yeah. So we just have to find, see if we can push the limits just a little bit, just to see if we can come into balance with being able to take care of ourselves and each other to a really good extent. Just to remember that we're never, we're never really alone, even though it feels like that sometimes. I'm Don, <clears throat> and uh, thanks for all that, Shelley. Good stuff in there. Um, you know, knowing the four noble truths, I have, st- I still have such, so much suffering around. Just, and I'm not quite sure I know what to do with, uh, with the suffering. Um, so somebody is. Uh, you know, very sick and ill, and they're dying. And I have so much suffering around that because I can't, um, you know, I can't accept that, even though I know that this is part of life. It's so hard to be with that. Um, and uh, and I guess it's this, um, I guess it's so, so powerful, this conditioning of you touched on the impermanence uh, so in my mind, it's so, the conditioning is so strong that everything is so permanent that right before my very eyes, that something is not impermanent is showing up, and I can't accept that. It's so hard to, and then try to be there in, uh, in that this is the way it is. It's, uh, it's to overcome all that conditioning. It's like, I want it to be different, so it's just so, so hard. Yeah, it is hard. This is what it's like to be a human being. It's hard for all of us to be with the truth of loss, right? And so what's the, what do we do? Well, we feel it, right? Get still and feel it. Let it make an imprint on our heart and feel the pain of that, like, you know, that, pain of that clinging to another human being, the pain of grief, you know, like grieving the loss of someone as a real, like, and with a real honoring of that, condi- you know, this is part of being human. It's like this for all of us. So why wouldn't we honor it? You know, we don't have to go like, oh, I'm not a wise enough spiritual being because this still bothers me. Well, of course it bothers you. Of course it bothers all of us. 
right? So just like hold that close, that suffering, you know, in this case, the suffering, the loss of a person, but any other experience works too. Any experience, any difficulty in their lives. There's no reason why to, we need to judge ourselves harshly or um, anything like that. We just like welcome it, like, yes, of course this hurts. Of course, given the conditions, the way that they are, of course this hurts. Here, let me just hold you. Yeah. Thanks, John. Um, I love that talk. Thank you. Um, and I've just been thinking a lot about interconnectedness and kind of what you were saying, Anne, right? Um, and um, how just it's felt so like, I, you know, I many of us <laughs> have been conditioned to be so, you know, individualized um, and how hard it is to feel like actually feel that interconnection and like I feel like it's at times when I'm actually showing up for somebody that I can I leave like feeling tired like I feel kind of this like draining of energy (laughs) in a way that's like almost this like proof of um uh that that interconnectedness um and I, I had this experience yesterday where I was at a meeting and like felt so angry <laughs> like and it it felt like it had to do with these themes of um like why aren't like why can't we all be thinking of the 50 years from now rather than you know the tomorrow or um and and like just feeling so thankful for like spaces like this where it feels like we're almost planting seeds for this um, this to grow. Yeah. So. so wise, yeah. I tend to think about work these days, any kind of work, but spiritual work or anti-racism work or social justice work or social work or home life work as, you know, just planting... It's like planting seeds, like engaging in the work itself because it's the right thing to do without an objective in mind, really, like the objective of eradicating this. But just to expect that, wow, with all of our uniqueness in the world and the defilements of mind, all the greed, hatred, and delusion floating around in our hearts on a daily basis, of course it would be messy and messy in patterned ways and momentum is there and you know, like we get swept away by a current and we're down the stream before we know it and then one day you wake up and go like, wow, how did that happen, right? So of course, given all of those, that truth, like it would be like this. So can I just fully give my heart over to this, engage because it's the absolute right thing to do and then just let go, see what happens with it. Like maybe this is the beginning of something that will show itself in a month or in a day, or in a couple of hours. Maybe it's like the clean laundry, I'll get to notice it and put it away. (laughs) Or maybe it's something like uh, climate disruption that I will not see the full impact of in my lifetime. And can I continue to engage in a way that feels sustainable for the long haul? 
It feels like a real heartfelt offering right now. <laughs> yeah, planting seeds. Thank you. We have to leave it here. But cool. Thanks. Enjoy your night, everyone. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.